WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems. And uh, let's see how we do this week. We kind of we kind of had a little problem last week with our guests, and this week we have scheduled Kyle Brower from iccars.com joining us, and uh, we haven't heard from him yet. And then a little bit later, we have Sean McLaughlin, the CEO of Emporia, who was supposed to call in last week, who something happened and it didn't work out. So he's going to be calling in a little bit later. And let's see if um, let's see who who does actually call in. So hopefully all things are going to go the way they're supposed to and be able to have people call in. So that's the plan, at least. That's 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 what we're working on. So we'll try to get everybody to call in and do what they're supposed to do. And hopefully... Um, you have all your Christmas shopping done, so you can uh, be ready Be ready to get all that stuff done and wrapped or what, whatever people whatever people do these days. Uh, you can give us a call. And, uh, you know, maybe you're thinking about that last-minute call for or that last-minute present for that, I don't know, car person in the family. We At the New England Motor Press... Um, we did a little gift gift guide, I guess, if you want to call it. Things you can buy to try to, you know, for car people. And we came up with we came up with quite a few uh, things you could do. And I think one of the best things is um, is some of these uh, coffee table books uh, that are if you're somebody who likes to read, they have they have great um, they have they have some great things to read. But also, if you're somebody like me who doesn't like to read. And you're somebody who would rather just look at pictures. Uh, they have some great pictures in them too. And and uh, one of them, you know, we've 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 had the uh, barn find guy on uh, quite a few times over the years. And his books his books are great. I I love looking at his books. The last book we gave away, the Corvette book, um, that the history of the Corvette, that had some really great stuff in it. So I like seeing that kind of stuff and and seeing what's out there. So it's always kind of always kind of fun stuff to look at. Um, Jesse, I just sent at least a Facebook message to Kyle Brower, so maybe he'll respond. So hopefully, hopefully he does. Uh, he's usually, he's usually really good about getting back to us on certain things. Um, some of the interesting, uh, emails I got today or this week, I guess, about car repair and car issues. One of them was a, um, somebody wrote in and said, I read an article and it says, not my article. about replacing headlights in your car with LED headlights for greater light output. And he seems to think he remembers me writing that LED replacement bulbs are not legal. And they want to know if that changed. And LED replacement bulbs are still not legal for on-road use. And the reason is that the way most headlight assemblies are designed... When you put an LED bulb in, which is a brighter, certainly it's a brighter bulb. There's no question about it. Um, it. It typically isn't a very focused light. So if you just kind of look at it from 20 or 30 feet away, it looks really bright, really white. 
but it's not well focused and it might not give you good lighting down the road and it's going to blind oncoming drivers so that's why you don't see the major manufacturers like sylvania and ge and and others who make headlight bulbs um make these led replacement bulbs so um if you look back if you kind of google car doctor in sylvania you can find an old um radio program where we talked to I, th- I think the guy was brian noble from uh sylvania orstrom which is interestingly located in new hampshire so the big giant lighting company is located right here in new england and uh, he talks about why certain bulbs are legal and they would love to be able to design a led replacement bulb for most cars but right now they just can't do it and the other thing that sometimes happens is that with led replacement bulbs they require less amperage than conventional halogen bulbs and you put them in and depending on the car it may signal that your um that you have a bulb out because the the system in the car thinks wait a minute there's not drawing enough current so it puts a warning up about a headlight being out when in fact the headlights are all working fine but they're leds and some of these led conversion kits now come with a uh kind of a jumper that sits in there that allows the to trick the system into thinking that all the lights are working the way they should but um led replacements they may look pretty and you can buy all kinds of weird led replacement bulbs now with you know six bulbs in them and all yeah it's not a great idea uh if you replace them as a total assembly so you're replacing the reflector and the bulb uh if you have an older car or maybe something like a, a maybe a newer car like a jeep that has that has where you can replace the entire headlight assembly maybe it comes out okay but uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't want to take a chance i think you're just going to end up with problems my my suggestion always is replace halogens with halogens replace you know leds with leds uh, replace conventional bulbs with halogens that you can get better lighting that way but you know stay kind of stay with what you have uh, somebody else wrote in to me and said um, they want to know about different kinds of parts and uh, they watch a lot of YouTube stuff and they notice one of the YouTube people uh, uses a lot of Napa parts and they want to know about Napa and you know how are they and you know what what can you get and one of my other readers runs either runs or owns a Napa store and he said what's nice about the Napa catalog is if you come in and you want say a oxygen sensor or something you they list in their catalog whether that particular oxygen sensor is the original equipment sensor or it's a true aftermarket you know never used in in that particular vehicle so at least you know you're getting a quality sensor and uh even rock auto will do that uh if you're buying parts online if you look it'll say oe uh oe sensor so you know you're getting a sensor that was made by um a manufacturer that's the same sensor that's made for that particular vehicle so if you have a toyota camry and needs an oxygen sensor you're going to get an oxygen sensor that was made by the same company that made it for that vehicle rather than some other ones um he also the uh the first person wrote in also said he was watching somebody else's youtube video and again it happened to be auction sensors and they said uh they they ordered an auction sensor and the wires were actually re- reversed which I'm sure could cause all kinds of problems when you have the five volt signal going to ground and the ground going the other way, and poof, that would cause some problems. So, um, yeah, try to stay with good parts. And they were saying they also bought some uh, parts online, some wheel bearings online. They lasted about two years, so now they'll only use uh, 
Moog, M-O-O-G, parts. So they've had, uh, they've had good luck with them. And, and I'm a little bit of a traditionalist and maybe a little old-fashioned uh, for suspension parts like that. I like Moog. I think they're a great company. They, they re-engineer some parts. I remember even to the point watching. Uh, I met somebody from, from the company once, and they were talking about how they will take a, you know, a ball joint or something apart and see where the failure is, and then they'll try. They'll they'll engineer it to be a better part when it's done. Uh, when it comes to brakes, I'm a little old-fashioned. I like Bendix and Raybestos and names that have been around for a long time. So, just one of those kind of things. Somebody else wrote to me, and they have a uh, they have a big SUV, and they have apparently a big family, and they're looking for something not quite as big as a Suburban or a Ford Expedition XL, and they're looking at maybe a Armada or a GMC Yukon or maybe a, the new Sequoia. I haven't driven the new Sequoia yet. The new Sequoia is actually a hybrid, so it's a V6 hybrid, and from what I understand, it's pretty good. I did take one for a quick little jaunt one day. Um, I thought it was thought it was great. Rode a little hard though. I was a little surprised about that. I am driving right now not a Yukon but a Chevy Tahoe and a 2023 Tahoe and a uh, big V8 engine in it that's got the the optional 6.2 liter V8 thing can probably tow I would. I'm guessing it probably tows 8,500 pounds um, when properly equipped. Uh, performance from the engine is really good. It's it's um, surprising how quick it is when you when you step on the gas pedal. Uh, considering it's a big heavy vehicle, it will seat up to eight people, which is kind of nice. And even in the third row. In the third row seating, it is still pretty comfortable for adults, which I found pretty impressive. So, um, so just a just a, a good vehicle all the way around. So, uh, you know, that might be one to look at uh, with with the uh, with the two rows. The two rows of seats fold completely flat, so you have this kind of cavernous space if you're just trying to carry a lot of stuff in it. Uh, so it's 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 something to look at. If I had to, based on my limited experience with the Sequoia, the Amada, and the Yukon or Tahoe, I think I would put the GM product at the top. Um, I like the interior. I like the way it's set up. I like I like the idea it has a good assortment of knobs and buttons. It's not all touchscreen based. So, you know, turning up the radio, turning down the radio, changing radio stations. It uses actual knobs. It uses a touchscreen if you want, and it has a great touchscreen. It also has a really good backup camera. So it's it looks like it's you know 1080p high definition backup camera. It's really really good. Now compared to the backup camera in my. Uh, Hyundai Santa Fe Sport, which is uh, very poor, low definition. It's okay, but it's not great. Um, this one is this one's like watching TV. It is really, really good. So if you're you know you have a little trouble backing up, it's great. It has all the safety features in it that you'd want to see. Uh, one of the things about it is though, for best performance, it does require premium gasoline. So it's not required, but it's recommended that for premium performance you use. Um, higher octane gasoline, which is pretty expensive still. And it used to be, I remember when I worked at a gas station when I was a kid, you know, it was a nickel difference between regular, mid-grade, and premium. Uh, now, you know, there's a big difference between the two. So um, the person who had the question about parts, he watches somebody called Eric O. Um, I don't know who that is on YouTube, but there's a million people on YouTube, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, and uh, so, you know, something something to 
you know, when you, again, when you think about buying parts, and this was this was kind of an interesting one, kind of a new car question. Uh, person's thinking about bu- buying a Lincoln Corsair, which uh, I haven't driven the 23 Lincoln Corsair. I've driven the 22 Lincoln Corsair. Nice car, no question about it. Um, but they want to know if the engine on and off function can be permanently defeated. They don't like the idea of when they come to a stop, the engine shuts off. Uh, they read that you can defeat it once per trip. So, like, you start up the car, you shut it off, it's fine, you park you get back in it you have to shut it back off again or else it goes reverts back to the start stop feature Um, it is probably start stop feature is probably one of the most highly defeated um, systems in cars that and probably lane departure warning that you know if you start to drift out of the lane it beeps or vibrates the steering wheel or something i would say that's the other thing that gets that people shut off a lot um which was supposed to take the place of like you know think of lane departure as kind of electronic speed bumps so it lets you know if you're going out of the lane but what most people do is they usually shut them off because it goes by road markings and if the road markings aren't very good it thinks you're going out of the lane for instance so or if the road's been repaired and it's got a groove in the middle of it it'll think that groove is the lane marking and you start to drift drift across it and you're in the lane but it thinks you're out of the lane so those get defeated a lot well could you permanently defeat a start stop feature kind of um i don't know about the corsair but i know in pickup trucks ford pickup trucks a lot of times what people will do is they'll trick the truck into thinking it's towing a trailer so they'll um they'll plug in a um, trailer light tester so sort of you plug it into where the trailer harness connects and it has you know a little bulb for the direction a little bulb for the brake light and so you know if the lights are working and what that does is it tricks the computer into thinking that this, you're towing a trailer. And when you're towing a trailer, you don't really want an engine that shuts off. You want it to be running all the time. So some people will do that. And I'm sure there's hackers out there that could figure out a way to tap into the vehicle's computer and shut it off. But we did some testing at AAA probably, I would say, six or seven years ago now, where we looked at whether these systems actually do save fuel. And it was always my impression that these systems were put in place similar to, if you're old enough to remember, standard shift vehicles and gas economy and shift lights. Some standard shift vehicles would have these shift up lights that would tell you this is when to shift. And most people just ignored it. And what would happen is you would... the um, federal government would give the vehicle manufacturers i think like a half a mile per gallon credit if they put the shift up light in the car and so they automatically got this kind of bump in fuel economy whether it really existed or not and i was under the impression that was the same thing with these start stop systems maybe it is maybe it isn't um but we did some testing at work and uh our California AAA has a full uh, EPA-certified chassis dynamometer, so we can do absolutely EPA testing, miles per gallon, that type of thing. And um, we found that running the city cycle testing with, um, with a few different vehicles and figuring the gas costs about what it does now, we saw about $180 in annual fuel savings based on driving about 15,000 miles a year in a vehicle that gets about 20 miles per gallon. So they do save a little bit in gas. Do they save a lot? No. 
Are they annoying? Kind of. Um, some of the earlier vehicles that had this, especially BMW, was terrible. It felt like it was the you know, it felt like the engine was stuttering and sputtering to get moving. Different than a hybrid, you know, hybrid vehicles are great for start stop because it's the electric motor that gets you going, and once you get going, you know, moving the gasoline engine kicks in. You don't even notice it. It's completely it's completely transparent. You don't even see it happening. So we have a uh, John from Norwood on the line. Well, why don't we talk to John from Norwood? John, good morning. Morning, John. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. I was wondering if you could explain how mechanics charge for their services. Do they mark up the parts as well as charging you hourly labor? And if so, like, what are the reasonable limits on how much they can mark them up? The reason I ask is uh, my sister is having a problem with her. AC on a 2016 Mazda CX-5, mm-hmm. and she took it in. They couldn't find a leak, and then they proposed, you know, a $2,100 repair just to replace line in and line out of the condenser as well as the condenser. And they're saying that those parts are like $1,200 when I see a condenser on Rock Auto that most would be like 150 and most of them would be half of that. And yet they're charging almost seven hundred dollars for that one part, which is really just a radiator, isn't it? Well, it's kind of a radiator, I guess. And what did you say this was? It was a twenty sixteen Mazda CX five. Yep. And it's you know typically what happens is whatever the parts store pays for a part, they'll usually mark it up about forty percent. So, and 40% markup's a little different than 40% discount, so it's really, it's really you kind of take the part and multiply it times 1.666, and that's how you get a 40% markup. Um, Are you talking other about time, uh, Yeah, at, so what ha- when, when a mechanic or an auto shop goes to the local Napa store, there's list yep. price and their cost. And their cost, usually there's a pretty good spread between the list, list price and their cost. And that's sort of how it's all determined uh, where the price is going to be. But some shops, that they don't get as good a discount. So they say, we need to make 40% on our part to be able to make a profit in our building. So they start by saying, okay, we, whatever that part costs, we've got to mark it up 40%. And depending on where the part comes from, that's where it can get a little bit crazy. Now, the other thing that happens is, depending on where, uh, you know, uh, the, for instance, the, if, if the shop went to the Mazda dealer and bought this evaporator, it would be the list price on a Mazda evaporator is $588.52. Now, now, is the evaporator the, different Condenser? Oh, you said condenser. I'm sorry. I was thinking. I was thinking. Uh, let me let me back up here a little bit. So, condenser would be uh, the condenser for this vehicle would be six hundred and forty-eight dollars and seven cents. So, if I went to the Mazda dealer and said I need a condenser for a 2016 Mazda CX-5, they would hand me a bill for six hundred and forty-eight dollars. If I went there as you know, John Paul's, the car doctor repair shop, at a dealership, I would probably only get 10% off of the list price. Now, I can't really make a good profit 
or make money in my shop if I'm only getting 10% off the list price because there just isn't enough in there. So I might look at that and go, well, this thing's going to cost me 600 bucks. i got to get $1,000 for it to make my shop profitable to pay for all my bills. So that's kind of how that works. Now, a lot of shops just take whatever the list price is. They get their cost in the list, and they just stick it whatever the list is. So, you know, and this is no different than, you know, and it probably is now with Home Depot and Lowe's. But back in the old days, things like uh, plumbing wholesale shops, uh, you know, big electrical supply houses. When you walked in and you were part of the trade, you got a different price than somebody who came in that was a homeowner that said, you know, I need to buy a bathtub. You know, it was just, you know, there was trade price and there was retail price. And the same thing kind of exists here. Now, with all of these discount auto parts stores and auto and, you know, online auto parts, things are a little bit different now. Um, You're right. Can you buy a reasonably good condenser from a place like Rock Auto for, you know, under 200 bucks? And yeah, you can. Absolutely. But the idea that they're kind of guessing at it could be the condenser. It could be the high and low pressure lines kind of worries me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they haven't made any guarantees that that's right. the problem. Right. And yeah. said they found oil in the lines, but that not that normal? Yeah, there, there should, be it, oil in, should be oil in the lines. There shouldn't be oil outside the lines, but there should be oil in the lines. That's what lubricates the compressor. Right. So, yeah. But now, if... Now, yeah, the if, oil in. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you looked at the line and it was... Uh, you saw oil kind of seeping out through the connections, then you could go, oh, well, the line's leaking. Um, but if it's if you're seeing, you know, if they actually opened it up and said, oh, there's oil in the lines, yeah, you expect it. The, the oil has to travel with the refrigerant to lubricate the parts inside there. That's the way it's meant to work. So, and, the and you know, when it comes to labor rate, labor rate can be almost anything. You know, the average labor rate, I did kind of a, a very non-scientific survey back a few months ago, kind of called a bunch of shops and said, what's your labor rate? And... Independent shop labor rate, about the lowest I found was about $90 an hour. Most were averaging about 110 to 120 and dealerships were averaging 150 to 180 So, you know, the days of, you know, $30 an hour for labor or $40 an hour for labor, those days are long gone. And then what happens is when you're replacing something like a condenser in this Mazda, you know, they go to a flat rate guide. So how long should it take to replace this? And it should take three and a half hours. So um, so there's the, you know, there's the time. And the idea is that if it takes the mechanic four hours, you still get charged for three and a half. And if it takes the mechanic three hours, you still get charged for three and a half. So at least there's some kind of normalcy to this. And I even know, I even know of some shops that mark up the flat rate time. They'll look at the flat rate time and go three and a half. Oh, we, yeah, we we do a hundred and you know we do, you know, ten percent more or something like that. So we add a little bit to the labor time. But these labor times are there's actually time studies that are done on most normal repairs, and it's like and and years ago they never even used time saving tools. They never used power tools or anything like that. Today they use time saving tools and they kind of go through it and they go, well this is how long it should take a competent person to be able to do this job. And the and again the idea behind that has more to do with paying the technician because they get on a in something called a flat rate shop, they get paid how many hours the book says to do it. So in other words, if 
That mechanic can do right. that three-and-a-half-hour job in two hours. They get paid three-and-a-half hours. That mechanic takes four-and-a-half hours. They still only get paid three-and-a-half hours. So, you know, a typical flat-rate mechanic in a 40-hour work week might clock 50 or 55 hours if they're good at what they do. I mean, all that makes sense to me. I mean, I'm Ex- big except on... W- except when you pay the bill, you know. Pricing. So if you, if you say, you know, the book says and yeah. our hourly rate this, then... Customer knows that, but it sounds like what you really have to do is ask them what exact part they're putting in. Because right. if they're putting in a seven hundred dollar Mazda condenser, then I understand that I'm being charged eight hundred dollars for that. Right. But if putting in a fifty five dollar cheapest on Rock Auto condenser and I'm being charged seven hundred dollars on that, I want to know that. Right. Right. Ab- absolutely. And sometimes I will say that I, I know for a fact sometimes what happens is uh, some shops will put the $70 rock auto condenser in and when they look up the price they look up the Mazda price and say you know oh the price is $693.45 and but yeah that's not the one we put in that's what we use for a pricing guide and that's not fair to the consumer either you should you should be you should be paying for what you're getting and if you're not getting right, what you're paying for yeah, my sister have any idea of what they put in? She's not going to crawl into the car and look for a, right. a label on it. Right, and marks. that and yeah, and that's where you actually you're absolutely right. That's where you need to say, are you putting in an original equipment part? Are you putting in a replacement part? And when I used to run our approved auto repair department at AAA. We would have pricing questions like that, and you know, and I would go back to the shop sometimes and say, "Can I see your receipt? What you paid for that part?" Because sometimes I'd look up the part, you know, both on the aftermarket. I'd go to like Napa Online or or you know, some online parts store and go, "Wait a minute, this part looks way out of whack." And then maybe they would pull out like a dealer invoice, and I go, "Oh, that explains why it's marked up so much because you guys you guys had to pay." just about retail price for it, and that would be acceptable. On the other hand, if they pulled out, you know, Joe's auto part receipt and it was, you know, $100 and they charged $600 for it because that's what the original equipment price was, no, that's wrong. You 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 need to you need to talk with, you know, you, we need to talk about this. You need to give the, the customer some money back. You know, if you want to make 100% profit and, you know, take a $100 part and charge 200 which I guess would be, I guess it would be 100%. Um, yeah. You know, that's one thing, but to charge 500%, that's ridiculous, you know. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's it's up to the consumer to be informed. That's what it is. Oh, I appreciate the education. Okay. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. And Merry Christmas. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. We need to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. Please join us for an exciting new show on WATD. TED Talks Hockey with former Bruin and Harvard hockey coach Ted Donato. Wednesday evenings, 7 p.m. on 95.9 WATD. 
Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Well, you know, every time I turn around, it seems like I'm seeing an electric car or you have, you know, we just did it. We actually just did a seminar at work about electric vehicles. We had Anna from uh the the uh, green energy people on with the seminar uh, we just bought two Hyundai Ionics for our driving school cars so we actually have fully electric cars in our driving school fleet now we're seeing electric vehicles kind of wherever we, we go and when we were talking with um, Zane Merver who drove his brand new electric Hummer out to Ohio, one of the things he ran into was sometimes, you know, EV charging stations working, weren't working the way they were supposed to, and he ran into some problems. But there are smart charging stations that you can put into your home. And with us is Sean McLaughlin. He's the CEO of Emporia. Sean, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to talk about Emporia and our products. Well, you know, let's uh, Emporia. Emporia is not just an EV charging station manufacturer. You have a lot of like smart home type systems, right? That's right. We like to say that we are revolutionizing home energy, and electric vehicle and electric vehicle charging is just one aspect of that. But as people do buy electric vehicles and bring them home and plug them into their house, it is one of the largest energy consumptions in the home. So it's important for us to be able to pay attention to the electric vehicle and how we can manage charging in and around the home energy usage. Now, years ago in a house that I used to live at, we had an electric water heater, and the electric water heater had its own meter, and it had, was sort of on a timer, and it would run the water heater sort of on times of lesser electrical demand, which gave mm-hmm. me a little bit of a break on my electricity for my home. Now, do the uh, do the charging systems that you have, are they smart enough to be able to do that type of thing as well? Yeah, yeah, correct. So we've actually um, connected to the Department of Energy's annual utility database. So with that, you can select your utility and the rate schedule you're on. And we'll upload your utility rate schedule in the back end of our system. And then you can choose to only charge when electricity prices are cheap, and we'll automatically handle that for you. We'll identify off-peak inexpensive hours, and that's when we'll activate your charging. During the peak expensive hours, we pause charging. So you can choose to only charge during the low off-peak hours. Now, you know, years ago the term you know, V to V or V to X or nobody knew what that meant. And I still think maybe people don't, but your, 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 your charges also allow, um, where applicable, some bi-directional use too, right? Well, not, we're we're getting there, John. Getting there? uh, Okay. the, the The technology is evolving and it's coming to the market soon. So right now we have our small home energy management system and we have a level two EV charger. So we can charge a car at about 11.5 kilowatts an hour. So if you think about a you know, 60 or 70 kilowatt charge, it'll take five or six, maybe seven hours to charge your car if you go from zero 
to full, which most people are. They're coming in and plugging their car in several times a week and maybe filling up a half a tank at a time. Um, but we are working really hard on what we call our bi-directional EV charger. We've completed full testing of Proto-1, and it went fantastic. We are now in the middle of building our Proto-2 product, which will be our first uh, attempt for a go-to-market product. And we're working with a couple of different car manufacturers and testing this with their new vehicles that are going to support bi-directional charging. But the whole idea is that you'll be able to come home plug your car into our charger, and during those expensive hours that we talked about, we can pull from your car battery to run your home, and then when you go to sleep, the non-expensive energy prices in the middle of the night, we can fill your car back up. So your car will be full when you get up in the morning, but we'll have moved your energy consumption away from those peak hours, at least the energy you're buying from the grid, into those inexpensive off-peak hours. And, John, you remember in most places across the country that are on time-of-use energy pricing, those peak hours are three or four times higher than the off-peak. So we'll, in essence, be able to lower people's energy usage bills, their electric bills in their home, by somewhere between 30 and 50% reduction by leveraging their car battery. So instead of drilling an oil well in my backyard to produce energy, I can... I can sell my energy that's in my electric car back to the utility. That's coming. That's coming. Yeah. So the 30 to 50% that I talked about is yeah. really just managing your usage around your utility rate schedule. Now, in California this past summer, they did a pilot around what we call a virtual power plant. And Tesla just announced that they're launching another virtual power plant, this time in Texas. And so, again, the idea is that we as aggregators – can pull all the cars we have access to in any given market zone, and then we can access the wholesale market on behalf of our customers and buy and sell trade energy into the wholesale market for our customers. And that's going to be a whole other revenue stream for the customer. So on top of the savings on the utility bill, within the next three or four years, these programs will roll across the country where if you let an aggregator like Emporia manage the excess storage in your car battery, we can generate, you know, somewhere between five hundred and let's say fifteen hundred dollars a year of additional revenue off the car battery for the homeowner. Wow, there's been some pilots done around this and it's in the and they're actually I'm being conservative and it's five hundred um to fifteen hundred because the pilots that have been run have shown there's a Nissan Leaf hooked up to a rec center in Boulder recently and it saved two hundred and seventy dollars a month. Um, oh. for one Nissan Leaf for a full year, on average, two seventy for the year. That's pretty impressive, and it would, you know, certainly one year, you know, one month of that. Well, I guess a couple months of that would cover the cost of like a typical in-home charger, right? Yeah, the uh, level two EV chargers, uh, their forty-eight amp that we have, we uh, retail for three hundred ninety-nine dollars. Now, the bi-directional charger, it has an AC dish. DC inverter in it, yep. so it is taking AC from the grid, turn it DC, put it in the car, DC back in the car, turn it AC so you can use it. Yep. So it's got the power electronics, so it'll be a little bit more expensive. Yep. We're targeting between a two and $2,500 price for our bi-directional charger. So it's a little bit more of an investment, but should still pay out well within a year. Yeah, and I, and I would say... I would say right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say real, you know, compared to, like, solar panels on a house that could take, you know, 8 to 15 years to pay off, something like this uh, is almost instantaneous if you think of it compared to that. 
Yeah, it should pay off well within a year, and you get grid resiliency. So if yep. the grid goes out, you'll have your car battery to run critical loads in your house. So and you won't have to worry about refrigeration or critical lighting and yep. those types of things. Now, Tesla has the power wall. Do you have something similar to that? Do you have a home battery, we, storage battery? We do. We do. We, we have a home battery system very similar to the power wall. And you can install this it's kind of stationary battery that you can install in your home and, again, use it for critical load backup or for storing renewable energy, maybe solar energy, that you can then use in, in the night when the production's, uh, when the solar's not producing. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute, but, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, a cheap New Englander. So for me, <laughs> so for me, I guess I would rather buy an electric vehicle that I know that could power my house in an emergency rather than spend the money on uh, an electric battery system that yeah. may, may or may not be needed when, you know, that, you know, once every two years the power goes out for four days. So to, yeah. me, it, to, me, to me it almost makes more sense to do that. But you mentioned solar, and your chargers can, through this system, can kind of interface with solar voltaic, right? It does. It does. We have a home energy management system, and it's, uh, it goes inside of your electrical panel, and it monitors your energy usage real time, not only for the whole home or building, but for all the individual circuits that are within your panel. So we can show you exactly how much you're spending on your air conditioner, or if you have a pool or a hot tub in the backyard, exactly how much energy they're using and what you're spending. So we kind of break it down in a disaggregated view. Doing that, we can also see how much solar you're producing, and we can detect if you're producing more solar than your home is using, typically happens in the middle of the day, and then we can turn the EV charger on during those times. So you're just charging your car from the excess solar that you're generating. So instead of sending it back to the grid, where often you get a steep discount from what it's going to cost to pull it back from the grid when you need it, we can store that in your car battery instead and charging from solar only. So we can really optimize or maximize the value of your solar. It, so, it sounds like, you know, this is really, you know, as I look at, you know, where I work, we have a charge point charging station, which I guess is technically not the right term for it, but uh, EVSE. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, uh, and it, but it's a pretty basic thing. It's, you know, there's a, it's a, it's on a 40 amp circuit. They ran cables out under the ground, ran it to the thing, plugged it in. It's hooked up to the internet. So we know if it works or it doesn't, who's using it, how often it gets used. But at the end of the day, it's a fairly simple piece of equipment where this sounds right. like, this sounds like, you've taken that and just made it a whole bunch smarter. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the hardware, you're exactly right, too. A basic level two charger. Again, the bi-directional is a little more complicated, but the basic charger that you're using today, there's not a whole lot to the hardware. Honestly, you think about it, it's it's like a really big smart plug, right, that you might put into your outlet. And it's just taking AC current from the grid and passing it on to your car. There's some communication that has to go in your car, but it's not very difficult. And so the hardware is really the same from one charging company to the other. Now, ChargePoint has a huge market share, maybe 70%, some say, for home charging systems in the United States. When their hardware is the same as ours, same specs, same three-year warranty, and they're asking 
$750 for the charger, and we retail that same charger for $399. And so it's just to us, we kind of scratch our head and like, why would you buy the more expensive one when it is actually the really same product? And then we've got a step further, but integrating it with our home energy management system, we can actually offer the features that they cannot because they don't have that information on what's going on in your home to decide, hey, are you producing excess solar? We also have peak demand management. We can pause your EV charger when your oven kicks on or when your air conditioner kicks on or if you're in a business setting or some kind of industrial or kicks on so that we're managing the peak usage that your home or building ever gets to, which is another way that utilities like to charge. They charge you up the energy usage you use and the peak you use because that's the size of grid they need to maintain to service you. And so we can manage that peak load as well. And the others can't. They've been spending in their time and effort, and lots of marketing and advertising, but also in building out these DC fast charging networks across the country. We've been really spending our time and effort on integrating with the home and the home energy usage. Now, that's really how we differentiate from the competition. Now, you know, one of the things here here in New England, um, what sometimes happens is, um, you know, people people have older homes that have limited electrical capacity. I mean, most new houses today mm-hmm. have 200 amp service and some even have 400 amp now. But a lot of right. a lot of old New England colonial houses are running on, you know, 100 amp service. Can your smart charger, because it has the ability to shut off when the electric stove comes on, kind of be able to interface with that sort of um, uh, that sort of system? It, it can. And you know, there's a couple of ways you, we help manage um, smaller panels. One is you can set the maximum charge rate in our charger to to a limit, right? So we we deliver a 48 amp charger, but you can set it at 32 or 24 amps yeah. to maximize its full load. And then you think about the in-home energy management system, and you're looking at say the air conditioner, and we can detect if your air conditioner is running and lower the amperage that's coming out of your V charger to again manage that peak load. Well, that's that sounds pretty impressive. Now, did your company start off as electric vehicle chargers, or did you start off more as like um, smart plugs? No, I mean the vision of the company came about kind of between 2015 and 17 as we really, really started studying the energy transition, and we kind of landed on two business pieces that we thought um, we could add a lot of value to to the market with. The first was home energy management. You know, there's some great energy management products in the market for large commercial industrial buildings. I think Siemens and Schneider, but they're thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars and take a professional install and a lot of times professional operator. No one had made a really simple self-operating, inexpensive, right, because it's got to fit the utility bill for a home, not a whole building. And so we thought, boy, 85% of the buildings are that, you know, less than 50,000 square feet, and there's not a system that makes sense. It doesn't fit the bill, literally. Right? The bills um, are smaller, and so our products yeah. can be more cost-effective. And then the second thesis we hit was really around bidirectional charging. The idea that if you have an energy management system and then you can plug in an electric vehicle and tap an enormous battery that is unwritten in the purchase of the car, you could really start driving, again, this, 30 to 50% cost savings off the utility bills. And so we started with the home energy management system and thought, you know, when the time is right, when the electric vehicle adoption is high enough, when the electric vehicles support bi-directional charging, 
I mean, when you get the certification bodies, IEEE and, and ULs to come out with all the standards for bidirectional charging, that we would build ours. And that started converging last year, so we kicked off our development process at the end of last year and have a big engineering team hard work in bringing that to market. Now, it's, it, sound, it sounds, you know, not, not to sound, you know, too corny, but, you know, it sounds like really the future is here and it's here now with these types of systems that it has sort of everything you would need to think about when it comes to uh, home energy management, especially if you're, you know, and, and, and I kind of envision the future right now is almost a hybrid garage where you have an electric car that does sort of 90% of everything you want to do. And then you maybe have a second car that's that's maybe a, a plug-in hybrid or a conventional gasoline car of some sort. But you might have both in the you know interim in the next few years. But when you combine it with this type of charging system where you have a lot of different options, uh, it really does it it really does sound smart. I guess it's the yeah. way the simplest way to think of it. It just sounds like this is sort of the way to go to be able to do that. Um, yeah, and especially where uh, yeah, especially where ninety percent of the people that have electric cars charge at home. Why not try to yeah. do it as efficiently as you can? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you, know, you, you mentioned the future is kind of here. We, we've been saying that you know we're building for a future that's yet to come. <laughs> we've been doing oh, okay, yeah, five or six years. Uh, but you're right that that future that is yet to come is upon us now, right? And the cars that are being delivered um, today, the majority of those will support bidirectional charging in the future. It's literally uh, you know, waiting on uh, software updates that they can do over the air. So kind of the hardware is there. And now we're just waiting for both kind of policy, right, and regulation and certification, as well as the technology to kind of merge together. And so, you know, if you're plugging that large battery into the grid, um, it has impacts to the grid, right? Uh, right. And so you have to, you know, there's standards that are being drafted as we speak and finalized as we speak that folks like us that are manufacturing these tools are going to adhere to. And so all that's converging. It's converging over the next literally 12 to 24 months. And within a year or two, you're going to really start hearing and seeing a lot more about bidirectional charging and the benefits that you can gain from your vehicle while it's parked in your garage 95% of the time. Right? So this great depreciating asset can now actually be a revenue source and really kind of pay for itself over time. Like, Again, the Nissan Leaf, the greatest thing I talked to the manager of the city of Boulder that did that program that had the $247 savings a month, he said the best part is the lease on that Nissan Leaf was only $219. And he's like, and we drove it. It was a fleet vehicle. It wasn't like it was just parked. Yeah. So it completely covered the cost of the vehicle. Amazing. Well, I mean, and, I, right. and yeah, and it, um, you, know, you know, currently, you know, where I work, my my full-time job you know i work for AAA, the auto club and and you know our goal is by 2030 to have all of our light service vehicles so our vehicles that go out and deliver gas and deliver you know change flat tires and do jump starts and all of that will all be electric and somehow in my head i'm seeing you know wheels spinning of let's see if we have 250 electric vehicles that get parked for about eight hours a day and they run shifts of about 16 hours or something like that and they plug back in and they make electricity while we're sleeping we're making money while we sleep. It's going to be a bunch of happy CEOs. Oh, absolutely, I mean, I, absolutely. Think about 
all the fleets out there that are taken home at night, right? And if you, as a CEO, invest in bi-directional charging for your employees in their home, in essence, they'll save money, the, the employee will be a benefit to them, yep. and they'll charge your car for free, right? And so there'll be no more fuel costs on your fleet. That's a game changer for a lot yep. of these guys that are running huge fleets. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then if you're bringing them back into your office, yeah, you can still um, do the same thing, right? You'd have a, a fleet of bidirectional chargers that would be pumping energy back into the grid during those. Yeah. And that's great. Your employees come home, right? They come back from work five o'clock, four thirty, park the fleet, and they go home. And what do they do? They cook, clean, do laundry, and that's when that peak energy usage is. And that car has just been plugged in, so it can help run the grid during those time periods. Again, then 10, 11, 12, you guys on the East Coast? Yeah. No, it, yeah, on the East Coast. So it, it is it is pretty amazing. And the other, the other part of it is, before we let you go, I was just, I just hopped on your website uh, and uh, looking at the other things you do, you know, you have panel monitors, energy monitors, and, and again, kind of smart plugs at the same time. So you, you including smart thermostats, right? Yeah, we've, we not only have our own product, right, with the home energy management system, EV charger, smart plugs, home battery, and bi-directional, but we have third-party smart home devices, so we've integrated with third-party smart thermostats. We're writing to Home Connect now for third-party uh, appliances, so being able to adjust smart refrigerators, saying, let's you know, let's pre-cool your refrigerator during the cheap off-peak so we don't have to run your refrigerator as hard during the peak. And adjusting your refrigerator by a couple of degrees isn't going to, be a poor user experience, um, and we do that today with thermostats, right? We can adjust your thermostat. For example, when you have excess solar, we can right. pre-cool your house. So when the solar does go down, your air conditioner's not having to run as hard. And so integrating with third-party smart home devices, thermostats, um, appliances, lighting, load, smart load centers. We're working with a couple of the large load center manufacturers who are bringing their smart breakers to market to integrate with those so we can turn power on and off at the breaker level as well. But doing it all through kind of the Internet of Things, right, the IoT yep. technology yep. that so many homes are adopting. Yep. We're, believe it or not, still in the early stages of there. They're saying that that market is only about, about a 2% penetration to where it could grow to over the coming decades when you think about how intelligent you can make your homes. Yeah, no, it's pretty pretty amazing stuff. And if people want to find out more information about Emporia, it's emporiaenergy.com. Is that correct? That's absolutely right, and um, we have our website, our our store there, and we're also listed um, on Amazon as well. Well, Sean, I want to thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program, and I want to wish you and your family and your employees a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, John, thank you so much for having us on, and you have a uh, great holiday season as well. All right, take care. Bye-bye. We need to take a we need to take a, another break and pay some bills. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you just love new kitchen cabinets without the high cost, the mess, and the inconvenience? Hi, I'm Sheldon Stewart of Stewart Painting, and I know how scary the thought of a demo kitchen for months can be. So I have a solution. Let our cabinet refinishing team. Restore the beauty to your kitchen cabinets. Our professionals will apply a sprayed finish that costs less and will be done in days. We paint hundreds of kitchen cabinets every year and we would love to add yours to our list. 
Call Stuart Painting today at either our Hingham or Hyannis offices to schedule your free estimate. Or to receive a virtual quote, go to StuartPaint.com. Choose Get a Virtual Quote Now, create a video of your project, send it to our sales team, and receive a price within 24 hours. So remember, Stuart Painting. Expect the best. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. Don't miss the Just Steph show every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. for fun guests and tips on living your best life every day. I'm bringing sexy back to Monday nights. Tomorrow night from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor on 95.9 WATD. Now back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor and kind of the Cliff Notes version of uh, cars that can go a couple hundred thousand miles or more. Carl Brower, executive analyst for IC Cars. Carl, good morning. And there are cars that easily go a couple hundred thousand miles, right? There's a lot of cars that can go over a couple hundred thousand miles. You know, you've uh, you've just got a lot of really well-built cars compared to even 20 or even 15 years ago. And what that means now is that if you're if you're out there buying a car and you're thinking, well, this car's got too many miles, it's a low price, but I don't know if I can get much life out of it. We've got data that suggests if you pick the right car, you get some good records to prove it's been well cared for, you might be surprised how much is left. Yeah, I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't unusual to do a valve job at thirty or 40,000 miles and maybe do an engine overhaul at seventy or 80,000 miles. Today, with like you pointed out, you know, you change the oil, you change the coolant, kind of follow the manufacturer's recommendation. A lot of cars, you know, 200,000, 300,000, even 400,000 miles is certainly possible, right? It is, and, you know, that's what we're seeing. We've got cars that, like the Toyota Sequoias, Land Cruisers, those things are hitting toward 300,000, and it's not like they go to 300,000 and die. They're going to 300,000 and still going. These are just the current odometer readings on them as they're changing hands. And then we looked at cars that had the best, you know, mileage for the dollar, and you've got cars like Chevrolet Impalas and Toyota Avalons and, and Toyota Priuses that, you know, you're paying somewhere between 87 and, like, $112 per 1,000 miles left. And you're buying these cars for between, like, 10000 and 14000 and they've got a hundred plus thousand miles left on them. Yeah, it it's it sounds like it's one of those things that you know people that maybe are a little bit older or that are a little bit afraid of high mileage cars. But now it's not unusual at a car lot to see you know out on the front row it says low miles and it's got one hundred and twenty thousand miles on it. Where before you know twenty years ago that one hundred twenty thousand mile car would be at the back of the lot somewhere you know covered with dust because they'd be a little bit timid you know trying to sell it. So you know it, it, you know it it really is this combination of better oil better oil filters, no lead in the gas, and all that sort of stuff that a lot of people hate, but it actually really has added to the longevity of the vehicles today. Well, don't forget the engineering, too, John, too, just the tolerances, right? How they can assemble an engine today compared to before. It's just a better built engine. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right because it wasn't, you know, the you know the, the old-timers would buy a new car and change the oil after 100 miles because they there was a certain amount of junk that came out of the pan, uh, you know, machining <laughs> right. and all that sort of stuff. And today today that's not the case. You're right. Today these cars are lasting a lot longer. We're just about out of time, but if people want to find out more information about this, iccars.com, right? Right, iccars.com. we got two recent studies about how long these cars will last and how much you got to pay for them. All right. Hey, Kyle, thanks for, thanks for checking in with us, and uh, have, a, have a happy holiday, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, have a Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was, Kyle Brower, that was Kyle Brower, executive analyst for IC Cars. Well, that music means we need to go. Hey, Jesse, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, and to all of our listeners, Merry Christmas. We have next Sunday off, so we're not going to be here next Sunday, but we will be back on New Year's Day. Uh, with all the latest car news and information. Until then, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down.